Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, the history podcast from a Baptist perspective. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today we're going to be returning to our series on Baptist distinctives, and we're going to be talking about the two ordinances, but this will be part one where we talk about baptism. Since we're Baptist, we have a special episode. Well, not really a special episode, but a one episode per, for baptism. Yeah. Yeah, this one won't be as long as the last one. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> that was like a hundred hour and a little over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> We're not that interesting. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Uh, that's true. Uh, you're getting all the five stars. The, yeah, the right. one sure. star review is for me. Sure. Um, so you just got back from Star Wars. I did. Give everybody the entire plot. Focus on the spoilers. All right. Well, it will be longer than last time then, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. So, But the good thing is that you are constitutionally uh adverse averse to spoilers yeah i uh bones yeah i i'm not a big fan of spoilers did you even watch the trailers i watched the so my rule is if it's if it's <laughs> you know if it's a story that i care sure, about right. um frozen 2 yeah, yeah exactly yeah so i haven't seen anything frozen 2 no so i watched the first teaser to get kind of a feel okay, of it yeah and then because after that they seem to reveal too much right. so uh, okay, so I haven't seen it yet, so obviously don't spoil it. But give people a general assessment. Yeah, so you know, like you know, if you don't like Star Wars, you can just turn this podcast off. Yeah, right now. just just yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's over. <laughs> you know, it's a tr- it's the end of a trilogy, so obviously all the payoff for all the emotional beats that have been built to for the first two movies of the trilogy, you yep. get. Um, also, the other side of that is because we're getting to those emotional beats. The, the characters are not yeah, done their growth, but you know, yeah, right. It's the major the growth of the characters has, right. has ceased. So if you hated last Jedi, would oh. you like this? Hmm. Um, I say hate. I mean, you love star Wars, but you didn't like last Jedi. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on your reasoning. Um, it, yeah, that's true. Of the reasons that I've seen, let's say what was the one before last Jedi rise of uh, force Awakens. force Awakens. You liked force awakens. Yeah. You liked the original trilogy. You didn't like Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Because of, of the most popular complaints that I've seen of Last Jedi, I think were primarily because Last Jedi was the middle movie of a trilogy that was yet to be completed. Yeah. Um, but if you did like Last Jedi. Which I did. Which you did. Uh, yeah, so I still think Last Jedi was a better movie. Yeah, I agree to disagree, but. Right. Well, you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, so oh then this new one. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, yeah. unpopular opinion. I think it's my favorite Star Wars movie. Right. I don't know how we're doing a podcast together oh. after that one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's. Uh, I think Last Jedi I, is better. Um, and obviously, having just seen it one time, yeah, it's hard to gauge. Yeah, but Rise of Skywalker is definitely I have only seen of, Last Jedi twice. Yeah. Uh, you know, you should watch it again before you watch Force, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Rise of Skywalker is a lot of fun. I don't know if I'm... It's better than Last Jedi, but it's a lot of fun. It's kind of like, you know, Empire is the better movie. Return, Return of the Jedi has right. a lot of really good great, great right. moments, though. So Yeah, you have to watch them all. So if you had to rank them quickly, Oof. top five. Top five. We know the prequels are uh, at the bottom. Because someone which, which, said, someone rank, ranked them, and they had normal ranking. And they said, watching the, I think it was a Christmas special on a broken VCR, and then below that, The Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah, um... So one quick shout out to the prequels. Uh, so we, Be- my Becky and I, we, my wife, we just watched through um, all eight movies to get ready for the finale. Okay. Um, and I watched it, trying not to be the typical Star Wars fan that you, <laughs> that hates hate everything. Um, and there's some great moments in it. 
The movies are not great, but there are yeah. great moments in them. Okay. I can um, so yeah, so top five uh, in no particular order since it's off the top of my head. Uh, we'll go Empire, Last Jedi, um, A New Hope. Oof. Empire, Last Jedi, New Hope. Rogue One? Oh, we're talking outside the Skywalker saga. Uh, yeah, then Rogue yeah, One. Yeah, then yeah. Rogue One's in it. Um, and then probably Return. Okay, so it's in top five. No, no. The, oh, wait. I, I, Rise. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, he- I'm always we hesitant. definitely lost our listeners yeah. at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. Stick with us. We're almost done. <laughs> I'm hesitant to uh, to do any rankings having on one viewing. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it may make it in the top five after I watch a couple more times, but right now I'll give it to Return of the Jedi. Okay. I would say top three, Empire, Rogue One. That's as far as I can get right now. New Hope? Come on. That's yeah, maybe. I haven't seen New Hope in a while, so. Oh, man, why? I just, I don't know. It's on, you got Disney Plus? I do have Disney Plus. Yeah, there you go. You got no excuses. And kids that would that enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, on to uh, more mature subjects. That was sarcastic because epic storylines are what the Bible is built on. So anyway. Baptism. So we are called Baptist primarily because we do baptism differently than the Protestants before us. And we come from John the Baptist. <laughs> Refer to the Trail of Blood episode <laughs> on that one. Well, John the Baptist was known for baptizing. Right. Hence they call him John the Baptist, the baptizer. We Baptists are known as being radical Baptists or radical baptizers. And so we got the nickname. It was a, it was a negative term. Which makes me think about negative terms currently whether they're bad things because it seems like everyone gets labeled negatively and they adopt that as their name yeah i think the most obvious difference with baptist is that we immerse yeah so what's the bible say about that well when you look up baptist when you look up baptized in the bible it's so common to us now but and maybe everyone knows this already but it's not translated yeah it's what we call transliterated, where you take the sounds of the Greek letters it was written in, and you just put them into English letters. If you ever read commentaries, they'll do this all the time. And you'll see sort of an English word you don't recognize, but it sounds like a Greek word. So, baptizo means something that the Anglican translators of the King James, and most translations after that followed, chose not to translate. The Anglicans baptized babies by sprinkling. Mm-hmm. And when they went to translate the King James... If they translated the word, it would have caused complications in their theology. So to avoid any controversy, they didn't translate it, which has been a perpetual weakness in English translations. So when you look up baptize or baptizo in the Greek dictionary, it's pretty straightforward. It means to immerse or submerge. And you would use it for like doing the dishes or taking a bath or something like that. So whenever you would normally read baptize – you can put in there immerse, or as the ancient Baptists used to say in the 1600s, dip. They're dippers <laughs> because they're not sprinkling or pouring. So the word baptize should be translated or can be tra- – at this point it means whatever it means, but it can be translated immerse. So the most natural – if you just read the Bible, knowing what all the words meant, and then you were said, now we're going to go immerse somebody, what would you do? You would immerse them. Dip them. <laughs> yeah, you would dip them. Dunkers. That was Baptists were called dunkers for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's exactly what it looked like. So the Bible word means to immerse. So if you want to be a Bible Christian, you should do what the Bible says, which is immerse people. Uh, then I think maybe even more clearly, 
What does baptism mean or signify or picture? Or is it picture? Well, is it significant that there's a specific mode? Oh, I other, see. Other than just that's what the word means. I would say it's a second tier issue. Uh, so first tier issues are essential to Christianity. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe them. Baptism is second tier. So it's not as significant as justification by faith and inerrancy of scripture. But does the picture represent the reality? So when you sprinkle somebody, you're picturing something to the people watching it. It's a visible, it's, it's public. So what is baptism supposed to signify? What does it represent? What is it picturing? And Romans 6 tells us that it's identification with or connection with Christ, specifically his death, burial, resurrection. So when someone dies, if you were to act that out, the death, burial, and resurrection of somebody, how would you act that out using water instead of a tomb or dirt? It'd be hard to do that with sprinkling or pouring. People would not immediately catch that reference. You'd have to explain to them, this is supposed to be dying. Immersion, though, looks exactly like someone going into the grave yeah. and then going back up. In fact, someone said that someone referred to other cultures where they don't they bury people like kneeling face down. Interesting. And so I said, well, if you were in that culture, you should probably baptize people that way. Like we baptize them backwards mm -hmm. with their hands crossed over their chest, kind of like we see people dying. Yeah. But the point being that you – where do you put dead people? You immerse their body into the ground. You don't leave yeah. half of it out or you just put a dirt on their face. Now, tombs, sepulchers, ground, whatever. So baptism is the connection with death, burial, resurrection. So immersion pictures that, which is why God used the word for immerse. Secondly, it pictures the washing away of sins, forgiveness of sins, which is death, burial, resurrection of Christ forgives us of our sins. So that's I, I think that's why the Bible uses water to get that picture. So it combines the dying and rising with the washing of the water. And so you put your whole body under in the sense of your whole body saves. If you want to look that up, Romans 6, Acts 22. So it's important. It's not essential the way you baptize, but it's important to be faithful to what the picture is doing. Yeah. Um, so a true church will hold the essentials. So what's the definition of a church? They preach the word rightly, and they practice the ordinances rightly. And what rightly means is not how they baptize, but what they think baptism does. And so this is not one of those, you're not a true church if you don't immerse. It just means you got this part wrong, but you still don't believe it saves you. That's mm -hmm. the big difference. Okay, so you should immerse. Otherwise, you're confusing people with the picture of the gospel. And that goes into why we should baptize. Like, What's the, what's the significance of baptism? Number one is not for salvation. And that's why we're not Catholics. Protestants, we're Protestants because we don't believe, partly, we don't believe that baptism affects anything. So there's a word uh, that Catholics use, or a phrase that they use, called ex opere operato. Oh, yes. Yeah, which, common phrase. Yeah. Translated means, literally means, by the work performed. So, what is performed? So they would say... That salvation is accomplished by the work performed and the work being baptism. So how are you saved? By the work performed baptism. That's heresy because we're not – we're saved by faith. Mm -hmm. We're saved by grace through faith. Justification by faith alone. 
So Catholics believe that the, the act itself saves. Protestants don't believe that. And you're saved by faith in Christ, which is significant when we get to who should be baptized. How are you justified by faith alone? How are you saved by grace? How do you receive grace through faith? Uh, and then the clear examples in the Bible are the thief on the cross. He was never baptized, but Jesus said to him, basically said to him, you don't need to be baptized, you'll be in heaven with me. So anyone that tells you that baptism is necessary for salvation, the Church of Christ believes this, uh, just a warning to you listening. Well, not really to pastors listening, they're not going to be tricked by the Church of Christ. But your members or friends, if you go to a Church of Christ, and what I've seen, they don't talk about this up front, and they seem like very much like a Baptist church, non-denominational. But then when they come to meet you for joining, suddenly it becomes non-negotiable. And I've met several people who've been lured into it that way. And they believe that baptism is part of salvation. And the clearest way to teach people that it's not is, well, if this thief on the cross could go to heaven without baptism, then everyone can go to heaven without baptism. Mm -hmm. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one gospel. So baptism is not for salvation. It is for identification. So identification is the most obvious meaning. It's a sign of something. It's a sign that you wear. So what does identify you with? Well, Matthew 18 says, baptize them into the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you baptize someone into the name of, you take that name. And this is significant, and I think this is really practical. Don't call someone a Christian if they're not baptized. Right? Yeah. And that's controversial, and I've got some friends. I had somebody call me recently and ask about that, close, someone close to them, who they were convinced was a, was a believer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but, but they weren't baptized. Which means you can't call them anything because they haven't taken the name of anything. Baptized into the name of, which means you didn't have the name before that. Not again, not baptized, not for salvation, but it is for naming, for identification. So, what do you call someone who believes in Christ but hasn't been baptized? You don't call them anything. The Bible doesn't call them anything. What do you call someone who does believe in Christ and has been baptized? You call them a Christian, believer, whatever you want to call a saint, follower of the way, follower of the way, right? Yeah, disciple of Christ. So. I see a lot of this in, in our circles. Meet someone at the door, restaurant, give them the gospel. They respond positive, positively to the gospel. You send out a picture or thing, which is problematic, and say, this person is now a believer or a Christian. But that's not biblical. You can't call them a Christian just by saying it. You don't have the authority to. The way you call someone a Christian is you baptize them into the name of Christ. And Acts talks about that, the baptism of Christ. So baptism names believers as believers, as Christians. And Matthew 18 says, baptize them into the name of Christ. So no baptism, no naming. So don't call people Christians who haven't been baptized, uh, which can be very controversial because we probably all have member, are all visitors in our church, maybe members of our church. I hope not, but maybe who haven't been baptized and they act like Christians, they talk like Christians, call themselves Christians, but they haven't been baptized, which means they haven't taken the name of Christ. Probably because people aren't encouraging them or showing in any way that there's a reason to get baptized. Yeah. It's ironic that Baptist churches have very little emphasis on baptism sometimes. Yeah. And that's because we don't understand the theological meaning of it and how important it is just for the essential identity as a believer as a Christian. 
So we identify with, with the triune God. So Trinity is an essential belief that all believers should know, even new ones. Uh, then you specifically identify with Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. So one way the Protestant tradition is the union with Christ. Baptism signifies union with Christ, Romans 6. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. So buried with Christ. And then Paul goes on to talk about in Christ like 150 times. So baptism signifies you're named as a Christian. You are uni- unified with Christ. You're in union with Christ. You have been washed of your sins. You have been regenerated to walk in newness of life. And you are united with Christ, which means you're also united with Christ's body, the people of Christ. So who baptizes? Well, who was the command given to? Go into all the world, baptize. That was given to the church. And so the church baptizes, which makes sense. Like who else could baptize? Non-church people? Like, no. So if you identify with Christ, you are going to identify with Christ's people. Christ died for the church. You accept Christ's death on your behalf. You're not part of the church, the universal church. So then you would naturally look for other people who are in the same position as you. So you unite with the local church. So that means you can't baptize yourself, John Smith. <laughs> uh, Calling him out a little late. Yeah, he called himself out too and then went crazy. Um, yeah, 400 years late. <laughs> Better late than never. <laughs> can't baptize yourself. Can't get your buddy to baptize you in your backyard like as a private ceremony. It's got to be a church. It's got to be a representative of the church. So do you have an opinion on that, on who should baptize? In the church? Just like who's authorized. Yeah, so in the church, who's authorized to baptize? Does mm-hmm. it have to be the pastor? I think it would have to be somebody, you know, having not really thought it out off the top of my head, I would think it would have to be somebody that the church recognizes and signifies with that authority. So it could be a deacon. Um, you if know. the church sets them aside. I think the principle being the church baptizes, but mm-hmm. since the whole church can't baptize, right. you would set a individual to baptize. I think the most obvious one is the pastor right. or one of the elders. But I've seen, you know, fathers baptize their kids, stuff like that. However that works out, um, I'm not going to give my opinion on it. I don't really have an opinion. The, the principle being the church baptized, and they do that by designating someone officially to baptize. Most obviously the pastor, but a deacon or an evangelist or just anybody who the church unites together to agree upon. You know, Philip baptized, but he wasn't a pastor. He was just an evangelist, but he was sent out. Okay, so uh, which which church he was he uh, representing? Church of Jerusalem. I don't know. <laughs> he would. I guess it would have been Church of Jerusalem. I mean, the Holy well, Spirit picks you up and puts you somewhere. I guess it's well. Also, uh, description and prescription are different things. That's true. Yeah, the minute you get transported miraculously, <laughs> we'll talk about you being like Philip. <laughs> <laughs> but he was elected as a deacon, yep. so he did have an official status in that church. Which I think carries over into his ability to baptize. Uh, anyway, so it signifies what? It signifies that you are following Christ, that you've been washed of your sins, which happens after faith. It signifies that you are united with Christ and that you're united with Christ's people because you can't separate those two. So it's entrance into the new covenant community, the church, which means it's entrance into church membership. Church membership's not in the Bible in so many words, but there is a 
clear commitment to a body of people, a local body of people who have elders that rule over you, who which has duties that you're responsible for. And you can go back and look at the previous episodes where we talk specifically about the church. Okay, so I see a lot of churches struggling with this part. What's the relationship between baptism and membership? Hopefully everyone listening has membership in the church. Otherwise, how would they know who they're responsible for, discipline, love one another, obey them, have the rule over you, all those sorts of things. But I see what happens a lot of times is people recognize that membership is significant, but then they have trouble with the idea of, say, a child being baptized. Can a child then become a member at baptism and vote? So there's this divorce sometimes between baptism and membership, mm-hmm. which is doesn't work. You're basically saying, let's baptize them into the name of Christ, but not into membership with Christ's people. So they're baptized into sort of a nebulous church, but not a local church. So they're followers of Christ now by profession of faith, baptism, but they don't have a church to be a part of. Th- that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's go into all the world, make disciples, conversion, baptize them, profession, identification, then teach them all th- things that I've commanded you. To do that together. It's a corporate thing. So if you don't make children or anybody members, don't baptize them. Just wait. They're still saved. Like salvation and baptism are two separate things. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if you're not going to discipline the baptized person who's a member, don't make them a member. Yeah. So that's a, that's controversial. Should you baptize children? First question as Baptists, can children be saved? Can they be converted? Uh, I hope so. Well, I don't hope so. I was. Right. I think. Yes, of course they can. If they can understand their sinners, that Christ died for their sins, if they can repent of their sins and believe, then they can be saved. And we should work towards that. And it seems like most people tend to be saved as children, the large percentage of people of, of people in the church. So yes, they can absolutely be saved. Which is but baptism isn't part of salvation. It's a sign of salvation. So yes, children can be baptized, but what happens next? You can't not make a members. What do they do? Who are they responsible to? Who's responsible for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're disciples of Christ and they're under the eldership of the church. and So that means that they're under church discipline. And I have a lot of parents who want to baptize their children, but when you present to them that way, like once they become a member of the church, they are to be disciplined by the church. Well, not many people are comfortable with their 10-year-old being brought up on church discipline. Which is good. Like that's the way it should be. So I have a ten year old, and an eight year old, or nine year old, and a seven year old. I don't want the church disciplining them. Like they're my kids. I'll discipline them. Which means they're not church members. And so once a ch- child becomes old enough to be disciplined by the church and not the parents, I think they're old enough to be- become members. Which means they're old enough to be baptized. Uh, and secondly, children are hard to discern sometimes. Mm-hmm. If all your friends are at church and your parents are at church and everyone's baptized except you, what are you going to want to do? You want to get baptized. And you're not trying to trick anybody. You're just like, well, I want to be a part of the group. Yeah. And what I find is most of the time parents are convinced their children are baptized. And so they push that way because they feel like their children are sort of left out in the cold. But baptism, as bad as we believe that you baptize believers. And so you need to have a credible confession of faith to be baptized, judged by the church who baptizes. And 
It's not that children can't have that, but I think it's very difficult. And we should be very careful about baptizing people that we can't see clearly are believers. And an eight year old baptized when I was nine. There's no, you couldn't tell. There's no way to tell that I had, my dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm. All my friends were church member or church at church. I had no outside, I was fundamentalist, so no outside life. <laughs> so of course I was baptized. I was homeschooled. Yeah, I was, I was homeschooled. Looking back, like what else would I have done? Yeah. Not that I wasn't a believer at the time. I think I was. But no one would have known the difference. And so I think it should have waited. Uh, this is obviously, I would say, a third tier issue. You can have differences of opinions even within the church. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were, I was interviewing somebody for membership a few months ago. And they said they were baptized as a child. And it actually sustained their faith when they went through some difficult times. I'm like, well, I'm glad that worked out. Like, she was very convinced. But I've seen the opposite thing happen, too. Mm. And kids that grow up in church struggle. Was I really saved? Do I need to be baptized for real this time? How do I know? So I think it's best to just wait. But, again, third-tier issue that we can agree to disagree on, even within churches. But it is a – baptism is a physical, visual representation of the gospel. And so that brings us to the last the main point. Who should be baptized? And this is where you differ, disagree. This is what makes us Baptists, not Presbyterians. Baptists, not Anglicans. Should you baptize babies? Well, all of my Presbyterian friends say yes. All my, well, I don't have any Anglican friends, but if I did, they would say yes. Um, large percentage of Christians believe you should. But I think it affects also like whether we baptize children. Obviously, it's different baptizing a 10-year-old than baptizing a 8-day-year-old. Right. But I think the connection is there. So, infant baptism, here's their argument. Covenant was made with Abraham to bless him, bless his seed. The sign was given, which was circumcision. The sign was given to Abraham. Then it was give, told, commanded to be given to his children. So, at 8 days, the baby was to be circumcised. Male children. As a sign of the covenant. Then then they say, this is important, the Abrahamic covenant continues today. One covenant. The only thing that's changed is the sign of the covenant, which is instead of circumcision, is now baptism. And since it was given to babies then, it should be given to babies now. And they use Galatians 3 for that. So, infants in the Old Testament were brought in to the covenant. So infants in the New Testament should be brought into the covenant. Church covenant. So your baptized babies are brought into the church covenant, receive the blessings. Uh, they go on, pe- people of God are made up of families. Think of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Families were brought in. Uh, I was just thinking of Achan. Oh, right. He was, he stole it, but his whole family was killed because they were a unit. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus blesses the children, receives the children. Uh, Peter announces the promise of the gospel for the hearer's children, Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's statement that children are holy, so therefore they should be baptized. Infants were never excluded from the New Covenant. Right? They were included in the Old Covenant. It never says they were excluded from the New Covenant, so you just sort of make the transfer. The biggest argument here is that the sign of the Old Testament, Old Covenant to Abraham continues to today. Same covenant. Promise of salvation. Blessing. So if they baptized children back then, baptize them now. 
Okay. What's the problem with that? It's funny because Presbyterian definitions of baptism are really good. They actually, we would agree on their definition of baptism, which is it's a sign of forgiveness of sins, regeneration, union with Christ. But then they don't apply it. So what's the Bible say? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, make disciples, then baptize, then teach. To baptize before they are disciples is to say that Jesus gave the order randomly. It doesn't really matter. And I don't think that's feasible. He said disciple, then baptize, then teach for a reason. And so that's what we do. We make disciples first. And you can't be a disciple if you don't believe. Also the church in Acts. As many as received mm-hmm. were baptized. Yeah, no children uh, were mentioned there because no, it was those who believed. So you make disciples, then you baptize. Secondly, there's a difference between the covenant with Abraham and the new covenant. And, specific, and, and the signs match that. What was the promise to Abraham? That he would have a physical descendant that would bless the whole world. So the sign was, I mean, not to be crude, but it was circumcision of the reproductive organ, which was significant because that's Jesus was going to be born of Abraham's seed. He wasn't brought in from the outside. He wasn't grafted in. And the sign was physical because the nation of Israel was physical. If you wanted to go to the God's kingdom in the Old Testament, you would literally walk to it and walk across a border and find it. And if you want to be a part of it, you would live there. You, sort, you couldn't live in Assyria and be a member of Israel, right? Like, unless you were exported, I guess, exiled, but it was a, it was a physical kingdom. Mm-hmm. So the sign was physical, and it was representative of a ethnic line. You could marry into it, but you had to be brought in physically. And it was – and you look at the Old Testament. If Abraham's line had been cut off physically, Christ couldn't be born. There would be no promise. So that's the Old Testament. So the sign of the Old Testament was what? A sign of a promise that a seed would be born that would be bless everyone. And so, of course, you would baptize, you would circumcise babies because it didn't matter if they believed or not. They were still part of Israel. They were still part of the line. You look at the lineage of, of Jesus, and there's a lot of people in there that didn't believe in yeah. anything. But they were still part of the promise. They were still part mm-hmm. of the covenant. And then sort of the, the, the type of it was fulfilled with Jesus, not with believers. But then finally, the spiritual part, circumcision, you need a circumcised heart. It was the heart. It was faith that was part of it. Okay. So what's the New Testament sign? What does this, what does this baptism signify? According to Calvin, who later argued baptism was for babies, he said it signifies washing away of sins, union with Christ, and regeneration. Well, how do you get those things? You have to believe in Jesus to be forgiven of sins. So to give the sign of regeneration, forgiveness, union with Christ to someone who doesn't have any of those things doesn't make any sense. If you can't be forgiven without faith, you can't get the sign of forgiveness. Uh, it's like, I have a one-year-old. So I went to the store today to get clothes for the kids. So I love Christmas. Everything about Christmas. Mm-hmm. Cheesy Christmas songs, <laughs> Santa Claus, the movie Elf. The, the Baltimore classic uh, Crabs for Christmas? I just listened to it today. <laughs> just listened to it today. Uh, there's not really anything about Christmas I don't like. 
So when I went to got, get a pair of pajamas for my one-year-old, I got the green ones with Santa Claus all over them. Right? Because I love them. So if you saw my one-year-old who's wearing them right now, would you then conclude that he loves Christmas? No. No. You would conclude that I love Christmas. Yeah. Because that's what the sign. The sign is he didn't choose them. He doesn't even know what Christmas is, so he can't choose them. So baptism is the same way. You can put clothes on a kid. You can baptize them. But it doesn't mean that they identify with it. And so you wait until they can identify with it. And it's funny because even Reformed authors say these things. They're, they're not consistent. So John Frame talks about this. So he's a pretty well-known Calvinist, Presbyterian theologian, wrote a, a, a very sizable systematic theology. While arguing that that you should baptize babies, he says, When a, an adult is baptized, baptized, he confesses his own sin, turns from it, and asks God's forgiveness, which is baptism is a sign of that. In churches where infants are baptized, the parents make this confession on behalf of their children. That doesn't make it. What? Even by his own logic. Then the parents should get the sign since they made the confession. Mm -hmm. Then he says, uh, the rite of circumcision sealed the promise of God to the people of Israel. As baptism seals those promises to Christian believers. Even in his own book, he says that the sign is sealed to the Christian believers because he knows in his heart and his theology Baptism is a sign of regeneration, union with Christ, forgiveness of sins. And you can only get those things if you believe. So baptism is only for believers. So then you intentionally and deliberately bring in members of the church who you know are not believers. You know they're not regenerated. You know they're not forgiven of their sins because they are 10 days old. And yet you still include them and give them the sign that they have done those things. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The sign is for those who are part of the covenant. Old Testament, they were part of the covenant. Just by being born into the family, they were servants in the house of Abraham. In the New Testament, you can't be a part of the covenant unless you believe. So you can't receive the sign of the covenant, which is forgiveness of sins, unless you believe. It gets to the point where people like Calvin and John Murray start talking about some sort of operation in baptism, where God sort of gives them something. They get a little sketchy. The most common argument is that they will look back after they believe on their infant baptism and make it a viable baptism. So it works like out of, almost like a um, like a time loop where the baptism is valid once you believe in the future. Then it, it works like in reverse. Why? Why go through those like hoops? So Baptists believe. Baptism is a sign of regeneration, forgiveness of sins, union with Christ, and union with his church. And all those things come after faith, which all Protestants believe. So therefore, we don't give the sign until they have the thing signified, which is faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins. So don't baptize people who don't believe. If they do believe, baptize them, and then don't exclude them from church membership because you can't be halfway in. As one person said, there's ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. <laughs> and there's no such thing as halfway church members or halfway Christians or halfway disciples. So you're either all in or you're all out. Mm -hmm. And as fallible humans, we can make mistakes, but we don't intentionally make mistakes. We don't intentionally include people who don't believe into our church. You look at Ephesians 1. How does Paul describe the church? Saints. Not saints and their children. He calls them saints. He says they were uh, predestined by God. They were adopted 
they were sealed by the Holy Spirit, none of which applied to babies. Mm. So why would you give them access or, or the sign of those things? Paul never says, all of you who are saints and your children. He does call some Christians children, but that's more of his relationship right, with them. To them. But they yeah. still understood him when he talked to them. Yeah. They were certainly weren't two days old or eight days old. So the descriptions in the New Testament of the church are always people who have been changed, who have been regenerated, who have been made part of Christ. And so the Presbyterian idea of including people in church that wouldn't match those descriptions is just inconsistent with Scripture. And how do you discipline them? I mean, I think we've learned if people don't have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't work. Yeah. The unregenerate heart can't be spiritually disciplined. And, and you can't have a church without spiritual discipline. Use Matthew chapter 18. So what Baptists say is what the Bible says. You bring them in once they believe. And if it turns out they didn't believe, what do you do? You remove them from the church membership. You don't just sort of wait around until something happens. So there's the case of where you baptize a child. Yeah. And you bring them into membership. But you don't treat them like a member. If you're a member, you have the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of a member. You must guard against false doctrine. You must make sure the gospel is preached correctly. You must discipline other believers, and you must be disciplined. That's what it means to be a church member. So if you're going to baptize a child into membership, you have to do all the, you have to, the child has to be responsible for sound doctrine, which means they have to be old enough to discern it. They have to be responsible for preaching of the gospel and for disciplining others and being disciplined themselves. And if you're not comfortable with those things, which I'm certainly not comfortable with those things, yeah. just let them stay under their parents. Attend church, obviously. Hear the preaching, hear the teaching, be trained, but not be brought into the membership. And then when they get old enough, then you make them members. And this sort of chopping things up. And I think it's, it's because of Acts 2. As soon as they were, or all through the book of Acts, as soon as they believed, they were baptized. And so now people would say, the Bible says they were baptized as soon as they believed. Who are you to put some sort of time distance between them? And it goes back to what is the book? We are not book of Acts churches mm-hmm. or New Testament churches. So the book of Acts is not the only word on baptism. Acts 29 churches. Acts 29 churches. <laughs> Shout out to Matt Chandler. <laughs> uh, right. So we're not just book of Acts. That's not enough information. And again, it goes back to Book of Acts is a description of what the churches did. It's not a prescription of what we should do. Otherwise, we would be doing the same thing. That's where Charismatics, Pentecostals come mm-hmm. from. They say, what happened in Acts? So we got to be doing the same thing. No, because we don't live in the same time. Why were they baptized immediately? Well, for one, they were adults because they heard and believed and responded. Secondly, were they credible believers? And how would the apostles have known if they were credible if they made a credible confession? How would they have been assured that they were actually believers? Well, what had happened, was it two weeks? 40 days before? My timeline's off. can't remember. A few weeks before. What had happened in the same city? They're, they're in Jerusalem. A few weeks before, there was a huge trial, massive riot. The leader of these disciples who are preaching and gets brought before the Roman government and executed as a criminal. Just a few weeks prior. And now the disciples of this executed criminal are standing up and saying, you need to believe in him and follow him. If you were a Roman standing nearby, what would your implication be? Follow him to do what? Mm-hmm. Well, he was killed as a, as a uh, 
sort of a, a, a insurrectionist. Insurrectionist, yeah. He was subversive. He was just treason. So to follow an insurrectionist means to be an insurrectionist. And that's what Rome would have heard. And the same with the Jewish leaders. And so when everyone said, we want to be baptized, they were saying, we want to be potentially, potentially crucified. We want to be identified with the guy who was just crucified in the same city he was crucified in with the same leaders. It's more akin to going to a church in Iraq or China and saying, I want to be a part of this church, knowing that you could immediately be thrown in jail or killed. It's not like America. What negative effects do baptism have on you in America? Zero. I can't think of a single negative effect culturally. I think of some benefits. Name a, name a president who wasn't a Christian. So culture is different. So I would say anyone that has the credibility of an Acts 2 believer, I'd baptize the same day. If they thought that they were going to get lumped in with insurrectionists who would be killed by the government and they still want to be baptized, I'd say, right, let's do it right now. Yeah. No need to wait. But if they just want to get baptized because their grandma was baptized or because all their new friends are baptized, I'm not convinced it's a, that's a true believer. So Baptists only baptize believers, which means they need to know they're believers because they can't pass that off to somebody. The whole church needs to do it, decide, because the whole church is responsible for that new believer. And so we should be very careful about it, but we should be very serious about it, which means we need to be serious about church membership, serious about discipleship, uh, serious about the whole church being a part of that, and not hastily baptizing children or people who just walked in the door that day. And sort of earned the name Baptist. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyhope.com or message us on Twitter at historyhope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.